Research shows that uh, the average adult makes 35,000 decisions every single day. Now, obviously, some of those aren't very important ones or big ones or ones that you think about. Thought of that the other night when I was in the grocery store looking for apples and saw there were 12 different varieties of apples. So I bought pears instead. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, says this, It's our choices that show what we truly are for far more than our abilities. I think that's a very true statement. Our choices. We make a lot of them. I read an article last week about Dr. Jill Taylor, a Harvard-trained brain researcher, and she had a stroke and lost access to half her brain. It took her eight years to recover. And so here's a brain researcher who had the opportunity to study her own brain and the issues that went on. And one of the things that she, she gained many insights about life, and one thing she said was, we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. So we make a lot of choices, and uh, it has a big factor in our lives. I like, best of all, what C.S. Lewis says. It said that every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you're slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. He said, each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. So all those choices that we make, they are turning that central part of us into something. What choices are you making? We all make decisions we wish we could have back. Take again. How many times has there been one word, one look, one act, one impulse you wish you could have back. Don't you want to avoid those kinds of mistakes? Well, the story of Genesis 13 tells us that the need to make godly decisions is more crucial than we could ever imagine. We are uh, going through the book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible, and uh, this section is about choices. We're now in the second week of choices that... Uh, Abram has made. He made a, uh, a great choice to begin with. We saw he left behind the familiar and stepped out into the unknown of God's future based on the call of God. And then Abram followed that with a poor choice. We saw last week of leaving the land of promise and going down to Egypt and, and followed that with a, with a horrible choice, lying to save his own neck and to put his wife into danger. Well, we pick up the story after all of these choices have happened, and now we see Abram going back to where God had told him to be. And, and from this, we're going to learn a principle about how we should live today as the people of God. First, let, let's learn how to make some proper choices. From this account in Abram's life in Genesis 13, there are four questions you can ask about the choices that you make. Uh, and uh, I think the first one of these questions is going to be pretty obvious to you, and yeah, that's predictable, but I think you'll be surprised and maybe challenged by a couple of other of these questions that, that flow from the narrative, the story of what's going on in Abram's life in Genesis 13. 
Uh, you might not be able to answer all these questions every single time. You might need some help from a spouse, from uh, a close friend, from your small group. But these four questions uh, can help you and I determine what kind of decisions that we are making. The first question is the predictable one, I think. Does my choice align with God's word? Verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So the bottom line is Abram got back to where he needed to be, where God had called him to be, where he had chosen to leave. He retraced his steps to return to where God said, I promise this land to you and your descendants. So he returned to the place of obedience. Now, just to point out to you, Bethel means house of God, where Ai means heap of ruins. And Abram pitched his tent in between these two places. I think that's quite often where we are in life. We experience a spiritual high on Sunday and then hit a low point on Monday. The Christian life is one that's lived with full access to the ruined worthlessness of this world and to the blessings of being a child in the house of God. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit one day and the weakness of our flesh the next. And it's easy to forget that this world is not our home, that we're just passing through. Every one of us who is in Christ has a new identity, a new destiny. Jesus said, I have chosen you out of this world, and that's why the world hates you, John 15, 19. So we're not to love this world system, 1 John 2.15, but to long for our heavenly home that Jesus has gone to prepare. But meanwhile, where do we live? In between, pretty much. In between as we wait for the city whose architect and builder is God. And that's where Abram set up camp and worshipped. He worshipped by building an altar. This is his practice, a very important one. By building an altar and calling upon the Lord, Abram is recognizing his sin. He, he wants to restore fellowship with God. He gave honor to the God who was still there, even through his bad choices. God did not give up on Abram, even though he had messed up. And neither will God abandon us as his people. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, and so we can come to him for mercy and grace in our time of need. Abram knew what God had said, but Failure to apply it led to a wrong decision. So let me tell you, yes, your knowledge of God's word is crucial for making godly choices, but you must apply what you know. That's the issue. Knowledge, very important, crucial, but you must apply it. God gives us in the scriptures principles and wisdom informing us on how to live in his will, but you must put it into practice. So uh, back on November 28th, Amy had surgery and the night before we went up because this was in temple we went up and stayed in a in a hotel because we had to be at the hospital at 5 a.m the next morning so we wanted to be there bright-eyed and bushy tail and uh knowing that she wasn't going to eat for a while turned out to be for like eight days i said what do you want to eat i'll go out and get it well i'll bring it back to the hotel and you can have it so she made some choices. I went out and got the food, brought it back to the hotel room, and they got my order wrong. Now, I want you to know something. My wife 
has been experiencing the peace of God that passes all understanding through this. She has, uh, through your prayer and through her confidence in our Redeemer, has had great peace, and she was experiencing incredible peace, still is, the night before this life-saving, life-altering surgery. I, on the other hand, got a food order that was not right. <laughs> and I was not happy about it. And I did not take it out on the people who put that order as I went all the way back and returned that food and tried to get something else. But I was irritable. irritable. Can you imagine me, grumpy? <laughs> I, apparently a lot of you can. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry about that. But it's just one of those instances where I am not applying the Word of God in my life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I was not in the will of God. I was not aligning with God's word. Not the first time even that day that had been true. Remember, as I evaluated years ago, getting invitations to speak at a conference or something, or uh, an invitation to write an article, and I realized that there were times I was only saying yes because it was an ego boost. That I was only saying yes because, well, that might lead to something bigger and I don't want to miss out. And that decision, those decisions of saying yes did not align with Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So it's very important when you make a choice. Does my choice align with God's word? And frankly, we're not always able, even when we know God's word, to recognize, yeah, I'm making a choice that doesn't align with that. The second question, does my choice value relationship over rights? Look at what happens. Verse 8, 5 rather. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now remember, Abram has no children as of yet. And after the death of his brother, he took responsibility for his nephew Lot. He probably considered Lot a son. And Lot had been traveling with him, but he did not share Abram's vision. And now their wealth gets in the way. We're reminded earlier that Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And the Hebrew word for rich is kavet, which means heavy. Uh, it's the weight of importance, it's the weight of money, it's the weight of possessions, and he has a lot of them. And Lot had some too. And with such large herds, it's difficult to find pasture together. Uh, after all, the area, remember, was recovering from famine. And so quarreling started. Abram approached this in a peaceful way. He says, brothers shouldn't act like this. He, he did a very, Abram did a very commendable and Spiritually mature thing. He had every right to choose the best for himself and to tell Lot, like it or lump it. He had that right. But I like what C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. See, a godly choice is selfless, not selfish. 
Philippians 2.3 says, In humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. And this has huge implications for our relationships, not the least of which is marriage. Some of us can get so focused on being right and getting our rights that we destroy the relationship in the process. As someone says, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Pick one. James 3.16 says, wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every kind of evil. So don't waste much time worrying about fair treatment. Life is not fair. And no matter how selfish you are, you will come out on the short end. And so how, how much better to choose more selflessly and let God settle the difference? That means selfish ambition and personal desire take a back seat in my choices. So I need, when I make a choice, does it value relationship over rights? It needs to. Third question, does my choice reflect godliness or personal gain? Godliness or personal gain. Verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And there the people of Sodom were wicked. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot had the choice, and he chose the best of possible locations. And although the area of Sodom and Gomorrah is much more desolate today, the text reminds us this is prior to the destruction brought by God. At that point, it was as well-watered and fertile as the Nile Delta, the Garden of Eden. Logically, it seemed like an excellent choice. Geographically, this choice that Lot made was a journey of some 3,000 feet downward. Morally, it was a much more steep drop downward. The basis of Lot's choice was about what he deemed best for him. The decision was self-focused. In his mind, Lot's mind, the subtropical fertility of the Jordan Valley outweighed the danger of moral infection from the population of Sodom. Lot made a theological choice here. Lot chose to move outside the borders of the land of promise. A share of the promised land could have been his, but instead he turned his back on it and he chose for himself. Now, immediately in this text, we're told of the moral character of Sodom. The, the inhabitants there are not just a little colorful. They're not just a little bit bad. They are wicked and sinners exceedingly. And th so this allows us to evaluate Lot's choice. He chose paradise and got hell. And so will all who choose not to trust in Christ alone. Scripture says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation, which is in Christ? The ultimate choice you make is eternal. Uh, trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the only salvation. Putting your full trust, abandoning your self-salvation projects and turning to Christ alone is the only means of salvation. That's the greatest choice. Now we can be so good about rationalizing our wrongdoing I, I feel like I'm kind of an expert in that, rationalizing my wrongdoing at times. Dennis Lee Curtis was arrested in Rapid City, South Dakota for armed robbery. And in his wallet, police found a sheet of paper with his code of ethics. He has quite a list. I'll share just five. I will not kill anyone unless I have to. 
I will take cash, no checks. I will rob only at night. I will not wear a mask. I will rob only seven months of the year. How strange. And yet, don't we often have ethics about the wrong we do? Here are some possibilities. Number one, I will not hate anyone unless they deserve it. I will honor the Lord with my money unless I need it for something else. I will not lie while in church. I will work hard as long as someone is watching. I will date only Christians and let someone really hot or rich. So we rationalize our lies, our overspending, our lusts, our anger, our revenge, our laziness. But godly choices value God's purpose over personal payoff instead of trying to justify our decisions. As 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Shark Tank's uh, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary says, the only thing that matters is money. Well, that's not godliness, is it? It's not godliness. Godliness chooses God's purpose over all things. And so answering the questions of well, what job should I take? How long should I work? Where should I live? How should I spend my time? Those are questions that need to be answered with God's purpose in mind. Lot turned his back on the promise and he reached for what looked best for him. And that was wrong. 400 years ago, Richard Baxter wrote this. He said, Choose that employment or calling in which you may be most serviceable to God. Choose not that in which you may be most rich or honorable in the world, but that in which you may do most good and best escape sinning. There's a quote to share with your grandchildren. Because that's not how people think. But that's godliness. So does my choice reflect godliness or personal gain? Here's the fourth question. Does my choice express confidence in God's promise? Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. So God assured Abram that Lot's choice would not change the divine plan. Lot chose for himself, but God chose for Abram. Lot chose on the basis of what was visible, and Abram was left with what was invisible, the promise of God, the promise of God. They went opposite ways. Abram is walking across the land he doesn't even own, and God said, it will be yours. I'm giving it to you and your descendants forever. Abram doesn't even have a child yet. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And there by the Oaks of Mamre, already a sacred place, 20 miles south of Bethlehem, Abram worshipped in faith. Let me tell you that whatever choice you pray over and make before God ought to lead you to a worship experience. Whatever that choice is. Because sometimes all you can do is wait and worship. Say, God, I don't see the answer yet. Abram couldn't see it. But I believe you. And I wait for you to keep your word. Now, the writer of Genesis already made a point of telling us how wicked Sodom was, and yet Lot chose that location. He sent his tent, set up his tent right next to that evil place, and soon Lot is living inside the walls and is part of Sodom's society. 
And truthfully, Abram's neighbors weren't much better. The Canaanites were extremely evil. It's like comparing Hitler and Stalin or ISIS and Boko Haram. So why was Lot's choice so disastrous while Abram's was not? Well, I want you to note that this chapter is bracketed with worship services. Abram sought God at the beginning and at the end. He sought God while surrounded by a culture that rejected him. Lot did not. Abram built altars everywhere he went. Lot built no altars. Lot went his own way while Abram went God's way. So what choices you make ought to lead you to a worship experience. After 10 years living in pastoring in Canada, Toronto, felt God calling us to suburban Chicago. And uh, it was a challenging choice in some ways. Uh, people questioned our sanity. <laughs> As we left a successful ministry and very deep friendships, uh, our girls' education, our oldest daughter at that time had been several years in French immersion. She would be fluently French and leave that behind. Uh, it would mean the loss of a pension, which after 10 years I would qualify for, and I was like several months short of that. It would mean paying for health care, which we had great health care in Canada, just to let you know. I think the price of uh, our youngest daughter's birth in the hospital in Canada was $20 for the TV that was rented. <laughs> but we knew if God is calling us, this is the right decision. This is what is to be. And if God is calling, he would provide. And he always has. He always has. Hebrews 13 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so to put that truth into practice, any choice you pray over and make before God ought to lead you to worship, to enjoy him more, to feel his heart beat in yours. Your choice, whatever it is, should increase your desire to bless God, should move you to trust him. Psalm 119 says, walking in the path of God's command is where I find delight. And so when you're making choices, ask those questions. Does my choice align with God's word? Second, does my choice value relationship over rights? Third, does my choice reflect godliness or personal gain? And fourth, does my choice express confidence in God's promise? So let me put it into one sentence of the importance of this, that the choices you make are the spiritual direction of your life. They are. So let's say you have a family member who has treated you wrongly, and the relationship is broken. You aren't on speaking terms. It may be your sister or your daughter-in-law or your former best friend or your next-door neighbor. Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you're faced with a choice. Try to make peace. And if it's rejected, forgive and move on. As far as it depends on you, you've done your job. But you have a choice to make. Or maybe you need to choose how to speak to your spouse or your fellow committee member or your employee. Do you intend to be harshly critical? Do you tend to use biting sarcasm or a condescending tone or express exasperation if your food order isn't right? 
Instead, choose to practice Colossians 3.12 and clothe yourself with gentleness and kindness and patience and speak the truth in love. That's a choice. Or maybe you have a comfortable living and your needs are provided for. You might even have abundance. Will you choose to be a good steward with what God has given you? Psalm 37.21, the righteous give generously. Will you honor the Lord with your wealth? Proverbs 3.9. Will you give generously to the needs of others? Romans 12.8. See, you face a barrage of choices every single day about what you say, how you say it, where you go, what you do, why you do it. And these choices indicate the true direction of your life. Years ago, New York Times reporter Nicholas Kristof went to Cambodia and tried to buy the freedom of two prostitutes. He selected girls who were there against their will and actually wanted to leave prostitution. One of them, Shrey Neff, cost Kristoff $150, and he left with that girl and a receipt. The other girl, Shrey Mom, was difficult. He, he says that after some grumpy negotiation, the owner accepted $203 as the price for her freedom. But then Sreymam told Kristoff that she had pawned her cell phone and she needed $55 to get it back. He said, forget about your cell phone. we got to get out of here. But Sreymam started crying. Kristoff told her she had to choose her cell phone or freedom. And she ran back into her tiny room in the brothel and locked the door. With Shrey sobbing and refusing to be freed without her cell phone, the other prostitutes, her closest friends, were pleading with her to be reasonable. Even the owner of the brothel begged her to grab this chance while you can. But Shrey hysterically refused to leave. She only stopped crying when Kristoff agreed to buy back the cell phone and her pawned jewelry as well. Finally, he got Shreymam back to her family, and it was a joyful reunion. But despite this celebration at home, Kristoff was worried, and a few days later, Shreymam quarreled with her mother and went right back to the brothel. Why choose slavery and degradation over freedom and a new start? That's a good question. But why do you and I choose sinfully? when we have the power to do right? Why do we choose what is selfish over what pleases God? Why do we make contributions instead of sacrifices? Why choose pleasure over service? Why keep our distance from people rather than show love? Look at your choices and see the direction of your spiritual life. And the question is, are you turning into a heavenly creature or a hellish one? God is always calling you forward. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand and receive this benediction? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.